yeah, having my head shoved into the uh, steps of the Ulster Bank in Ranelagh, cold butt of a gun put into the back of your skull. That's a moment where you go, okay, yeah, I think this one's up. How does a high-flying academic become one of Ireland's most prolific bank robbers? What I would see is the most important part of this still lies open. I'm not here to hurt you. A brand new series from the award-winning team behind the Indo Daily. That November day, that's where it all, all begins. Out now, wherever you get your podcasts. Shachtan, an Indo Askeliga. Time imon irok the yen of chacht erachor. Agus suligam a makan sha gurfeder erachor inuik kiart len of winter fein. Skilti fis turmi. Tashe dochrecha nach vetoch ara igornamyan on kestchen ekol. Vien talam aginam griv arkar nrachtum. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. This is an Irish independent podcast. Then I was like, okay, these shouldn't be exposed. I got in, I got to looking at a couple of them, and I saw driver's licenses. I can figure out really fast what's there and, you know, how valuable it is or how valuable it isn't. It's much better to get a responsible disclosure notice from a member of the security community than to get a Bitcoin ransom demand. You know, in this case, because if I report it to you, at least the faster it gets closed down and public access is restricted, the less the likelihood is of bad actors getting it. Hello and you're welcome to The Big Tech Show with me, Adrian Weckler, in association with Square. Square can help with your business needs, whether it's menu management, online ordering or payments. Visit square.com for more. Now, we're going to look at a, a, a big story breaking this week. Garthi said that a data breach, which exposed thousands potentially of driver's license to hackers, was not actually its fault. The breach sopped 521,000 documents exposed dating back to 2017. And these included insurance investigations, vehicle registration certificates, notices of, of car seizures and more. Now, the breach, we understand, was caused by a software error at an I, a Limerick-based IT services firm, which is retained by tow truck companies, which work for Angartha Shiakana. It's unclear how long the security vulnerability was in place or how many may have accessed the citizen data. But the Gardaí were notified of the breach in August by an international cybersecurity researcher, Jeremiah Fowler, who is also the co-founder of Security Discovery. And Jeremiah joins me now. Jeremiah, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Adrian. Pleasure to be here with you. Um, obviously, wish it was under better circumstances. But. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, look, we'll talk maybe a little bit about what you do for a living uh, in a while. But can you just take me back? How did you discover this vulnerable cloud database? Yeah, so uh, I'll take you back a little further. I worked for a company nearly a decade ago that had a data breach. We accidentally exposed almost 13 million uh, customer files. 
And I know that sounds horrible. They were encrypted using an older algorithm. And, you know, the security community really just tore us a new one. And we, at that time, the owners of the company uh, gave us a budget to create a research center, which was to find out where is data, what's out there. And 10 years ago, it was the Wild West. You know, you, you it was nothing to find millions of credit card numbers, medical records, banking information. Um, now it's not quite the same. I mean, you know, finding really big data breaches these days is, is a lot harder. Uh, one reason for that is cyber criminals are also looking for that. Many big companies have already had a data breach. And once you have uh, a data breach, there's a really high percentage. You're not going to have another one in the next three years uh, is the statistic, if I remember correct. So, you know, I've been doing this 10 years. I'm always looking for for data vulnerabilities. And so when I found this, a lot of these files were were in PDF format. And, you know, so I, I got in, I got to looking at a couple of them and I saw driver's licenses and some of the documents you had mentioned. And I was like, okay, these shouldn't be exposed. Um, so that's how I found it. You know, I manually went in and, and peeked at a few of the documents. And not not to get too technical, but when you say you manually went in or you found it, this is not something that someone, just a regular citizen on a board Saturday night could do, right? No, no, it is actually. Uh, it is. <laughs> if, yeah, yeah. If you have, you know, practice, you know, someone can do just about anything with, with the right practice. So many of these cloud storage repositories have what's called a native browser. So, you know, you can either use a third-party tool or the native browser. So once you know the database name um, and a few other like file names or, or something like that, uh, you can browse them if you have a lot of time, <laughs> you know, and, and not every a very, very small percentage of databases contain anything valuable. Hmm. Uh, so it, it really is like a lottery. Um, but because this is what I do, I'm not, you know, I'm always looking. And because I've done this for almost a decade, I can figure out really fast what's there and, you know, how valuable it is or how valuable it isn't. So I think you were saying that once you had the database name, you wouldn't necessarily need any specialized software, just, for example, the native browser tool. Yeah, e- either the database name or IP address. There's, you know, there's, there's a few different ways you can do that. And one of the mistakes I see companies making a lot is they'll have a database that the, the full database may be protected. You can't access it. But they will open individual documents or not protect them. And the idea is to share an invoice with a customer or something or let the customer upload their document. Um, and that gives you a file path that gives you the name of the database, shows you where everything is. And I don't mean that you know, from the ethical standpoint. I mean, the bad guys now know where it is. They know exactly where the, the file path is and they can target that. Is there any way to know if this was accessed by others, particularly bad actors? The only thing would be to do uh, like an IP forensics audit to, to go in and see. And, and I talked with the 
contractors and, you know, really good guys, mistakes happen. I was also on that side of the fence once myself. Um, so the first thing they did was reach out to me and ask for IP addresses and timeline and everything. So in this case, I, I really feel that they're doing the right thing. Um, and of course they probably won't publicly disclose that that's between them and, and the national police. And, um, but I, the important, just to, sorry, be, just, just to be clear, my understanding is that they don't have a direct contract with the national police, that their contract is with the towing companies and other uh, firms and s- some of those firms, the towing companies, for example, might have a contract with uh, Angarda Shikana, the police. It's a kind of a convoluted um, uh, relationship. I mean, to, to people whose cars were towed, it probably makes no odds. But just just to to you know, just to make that clear. Um, and how long do you think? Do we have any idea how long this might have been in this vulnerable state? Uh, from my side, no, I, I don't. You know. There, there was the time I found it, analyzed it, kind of guessed who owned it because, you know, the one common denominator was the police. Mm. So I just assumed either they directly managed and owned it or, you know, knew who did. And they did. Um, normally, when something is publicly accessible like that um, for any period of time, it'll get wiped out by ransomware mm. um, or the files will just be deleted, you know, depending on the permission structure. So the ransomware issue is an interesting one. So if there is a database like that, which might be accessible or might be vulnerable, you're saying that in many cases that opens up a ransomware route for for bad guys. Yeah, a lot of this ransomware is automated as well. You know, like a, a Google spider crawling websites, they're looking for open databases depending on what they are. And there's you know, there's a range of other malicious scripts that'll that'll go in. So would you say that uh, the entities involved here in Ireland and the people whose you know data this relates to, were we lucky that it wasn't a bad guy, that it was you? Yeah, I always say, you know, it's much better to get a responsible disclosure notice from a member of the security community than to get a you know, Bitcoin ransom demand. Yeah. You know, in this case, because if if I report it to you, at least the fast, you know, the faster it gets closed down and public access is restricted, uh, the less the likelihood is of bad actors getting it. So, you know, it could have been a matter of hours before I found it, could have been a matter of days, but I, I don't think it was a, a really long time. Mm. Now, we know, for example, that there were relatively high-resolution scans of drivers' IDs and, and, and other potentially sensitive documents. We mentioned ransomware. What other bad scenarios could happen in this circumstance, potentially? What's the worst that could happen for, yeah. for, for those whose data is potentially exposed? Well, hypothetically, which uh, we, we always say, uh, in the event that a criminal gets documents in this case, or in any case, when there's that type of identification, all the guesswork is gone. You know, um, social engineering is is probably the biggest, most successful scam running. Um, you know, being I'm American, but I've lived in Europe for 12 years, and uh, the systems are different everywhere. But I can think of so many ways. You know, everything. I think you even mentioned that about. 
you know, the know your customer laws. If, if someone's applying for something that can go, oh, well, this is me. Here's a copy of my ID. Mm. Um, or criminals could even contact that person, get additional information from them because they already know their name, their date, a birth, where they live, maybe their car insurance company. So if I was a perfect example of a social engineering scam, I know your insurance company and I call and I say, hey, you know, we've got a payment due for, you know, 100 euros. Uh, I see here that your card number ends in three, four, five. Uh, can you validate or verify the rest of that number? Yeah. And then once you have that, you just, you know, go go to town with it. And that's not a, an untypical scenario. I think we all do get those communications, whether it's a call we make ourselves or sometimes an, an inbound call. And And just to remind people that some of the data that was in this database included things like full debit card detail in one in, in one at least one incident um driver's licenses incident summary reports documents marked as confidential um summary reports containing names and details of drivers witnesses and multiple guard officers fees registration numbers so there was a lot of information potentially uh sensitive here yeah absolutely and you know because because time and is very, it's very important from the time I find it, identify it to try to get it closed as fast as possible. So, you know, I didn't, I didn't look at all 500,000 records and the way many of them were structured, I couldn't do like keyword searches because if it's a PDF document, unless it's in metadata, you, you can't get to it. Um, so yeah, whatever one of the towing companies had a receipt that had what looked to be a complete debit card number. So not only did it have information about the driver, it had their full number printed out on it, which, I mean, that's mm. th- that's pretty dangerous, I would say. And does, in bad scenarios, does this kind of stuff, where does it end up? Does it end up on the dark web? Is, is it, you know, sold and hawked around? Yes, and, you know, it could potentially be dumped on the dark web and, and, and not talking about this one specifically, no. but you know, any sort of data breach, the problem with personal data, like personally identifiable data, it doesn't expire, you know? So same with like health records, for example, you know, that follows you around forever where your, your debit card may expire one day, but you could live in your house for 30 years. So there's pieces of the puzzle of who you are as a personally identifiable individual um, that we don't know what kind of risks could come up in 10 years from now from a a data breach a decade ago. Yeah. um, Is is this kind of vulnerability a common thing? Uh, Yes and no. Um, You know, there's there's a few ways these happen. This this could have been uh, human error. Human Mm -hmm. error actually... During the start of the pandemic, I saw a tidal wave of data breaches where people work remotely and work from home. And so now you have this network or system that people who are working remote need access to. And so they would open access thinking for one person or or group of people and open it for everyone. So there was this tidal wave of data breaches, but we were all in such a panic at that point that that data was secondary. Mm. And do you, 
you sort of do this for a living in a sense. Do you typically get bug bounties sometimes when you discover this sort of stuff? Yeah, sometimes. Um, you know, it's it's something that um, some companies get it, some companies don't. And in cases where it serves the public good, and in cases where many, many, many people are affected, you know, at the end of the day, these are real people, that's real data. And I know, I mean, I found my own data many times in databases. And uh, I've also found my own data in databases where they told me it was testing data. And I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> so um, I know that if my information and copies of my ID or, or, or anything like that were exposed, I would want to be aware of it. Um, and the way that many uh, government structures are around the world, they're not going to announce a, you know, a, a black eye or a, you know, uh, something any sort of data incident like that. I mean, it's not something you pat yourself on the back about and shout from the mountaintops. Right, right. So I'm, and feel free not to answer this question, but I'm I'm taking it that there wasn't a bug bounty in this case. Um, there was one offered and I, I, I told them I would consider um, and I took some time and thought about it. And at the end of the day, these guys did everything right. You know, they really did. I think that, you know, they, the approach they used immediately, the first thing they wanted to do is, is check the data, protect the data. Uh, so in all my years of doing this, they, they followed the book point by point. Mm. Um, they acted expeditiously and in line with their responsibilities absolutely. under protocol, under data procedures and, and GDPR. Uh, finally, are there any lessons here in what to do or what not to do companies, organizations, what, what should we take from this? That's really funny because I'm writing a book about cybersecurity for small business at the moment. <laughs> I've, yeah, I've been tossing that idea around forever because cybersecurity, well, for one, it's really expensive. And many companies, you know, they, they either go cheap and try to farm it out to bug bounty hunters or, or something like that, and, or they put all their eggs in one basket and use one vendor that just does automated scans, automated testing. And yes, you get, you know, a hundred pages of false positives, but they're not really going to help you in the long run with your security environment. Um, so my idea is to really share just the basics because I've seen so many major data breaches that happen because of non-technical people, whether that's like the CEO or the human resources manager. And these people have access to the most important data of that company. And now that we live in a digital age, uh, the, the, the personal data and the information of your customers is equally as, value as, as valuable as the products or service that you sell. And it's hard to get that idea through to companies to invest in their security infrastructure because they just don't see that quick return until they have a data incident. Mm. Mm. Okay, well, look, good work, Jeremiah. And thank you very much for coming on our podcast today. I know you're writing about it uh, also on vpnmentor.com. Uh, we'll, uh, we might include a, a link to that in the notes. But uh, for now, Jeremiah Fowler, also co-founder of Security. 
Discovery. Thank you very much for joining the podcast. And my thanks to JJ Clark, who produced Niall McMonagall, and Conan Doherty, who was on video. Uh, I'm Adrian Weckler, and you've been listening to or watching The Big Tech Show in association with Square. And we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Shachtan, an Indo Askeliga. Time in Mon Iruk the Yen of Chacht Erechor, Agasuligum, a Machan Shaw, Gurfeder Echor, Inuik Kart, Len of Winterfame. Skilti, Fis, Turmi. Pashe Dochretche, Nach Vetok, Ara, Igornamion, and Kestian Echo. Vientolam Aginom Griv, Orkar Nrachtum. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms.